This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. And welcome everybody to a special episode of the Animaniacast. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Animaniacast. We are the only podcast out there that is dedicated to the animated series Animaniacs. Today, we have a very special episode. We are interviewing none other than Tom Ruger, who is the creator of Tiny Toon Adventures, Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, and so many other cartoons out there that I, you know, boy, oh boy, too many to mention off the top of my, my head in a sentence. But I am Joey, and joining me are my co-hosts, Nathan. And don't you forget it. (laughs) And across the country in Georgia, in (laughs) hurricane-soaked Georgia, is Kelly. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Kelly, We we, we we had to frantically use our Skype to call Kelly. Uh, today because everything is down. Every, all the phone lines are, are all the, uh, the internet and the power is all still down even days later. Yeah, we're, we're very fortunate to have gotten power back. But yeah, the, the internet, Wi Fi, not so much. <laughs> well, uh, Nathan, Kelly, today we have, of course, like I mentioned, a very, very special guest. It is none other than Mr. Tom Ruger, senior producer of Animaniacs, creator of Animaniacs, Tom, welcome to the Animaniacast. Hello, Joey Nathan Kelly. <laughs> it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you, and this we'll have fun today. Absolutely. Uh, you know, yes, it is a complete honor. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to be on the show. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Mr. Ruger, uh, you know, came, uh, came to us and said, Hey, when am I going to be on the show? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, we said, sure, anytime. <laughs> and, uh, basically what we're planning is that, uh, Mr. Ruger will actually be, uh, a reoccurring guest on our podcast from time to time to give us the rest of the story. When it comes to <laughs> the Animaniacs. So, Tom, welcome once again. Uh, anything you'd like to say out there to the fans of uh, the, the Animaniacs who are listening to us? Well, uh, I think the fans have found the right show, this being the only podcast all about Animaniacs. And uh, <laughs> we'll see if I return. We'll see if I am invited back after uh, today's travesty. <laughs> uh, but I'm ready to go. Let's let's dig in wherever you want. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's we're going to start off with uh, instead of this is your life, we're bringing out <laughs> the giant Wikipedia page right here. I'm bringing out the giant book right here. Tom Ruger, <laughs> this is your Wikipedia page, <laughs> and the music goes on. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen. Thomas Charles, or Tom Ruger, born April 4th, 1954, is an American animator, writer, storyboard artist, producer, and director, 
Ruger. Okay, stop, stop. It says Thomas Charleston quote Tom Ruger. I mean, yeah, I mean, no one goes around calling me Thomas Charles, though. But anyway, <laughs> okay. I'm just, Tom Ruger works for me. Okay. <laughs> All right. Ruger is best known for his association with Walt Disney Television Animation and Warner Brothers Animation. He is also known for creating Tiny Toon Adventures, Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, and Hysteria. Any uh, look all good so no, far? No, no objections to anything. Uh, I also uh, worked on um, Freakazoid and Road Rovers and a few other shows, but that, that's great. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good for the headline, I suppose, right? So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, I might, uh, we're going on to right now to early life and career. So, Ruger was born in Metuchen, New Jersey. Am I pronouncing that correctly? It's actually Metuchen, New Jersey. Metuchen, New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. Named after an Indian. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. During his childhood, he would draw images of the Flintstones when it aired. Is uh, and you attended Washington School. Is is all of that? <laughs> These are the most random facts I've ever seen in a profile. <laughs> it's remarkable. Uh, Washington School is now called Moss School, named after Mildred Moss, my principal back then. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. Uh, during my childhood, I, I would sit in front of the TV, and I wouldn't really just draw Flintstones. I, I would draw whatever cartoon character was on TV. So it'd be Huckleberry Hound, Yogi Bear, Popeye, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck. I mean. Basically, uh, any cartoon character that I was watching, I, I would tend to draw. So that was sort of my uh, pastime. Now, out of curiosity, how did you get the the reference for those? Was it just through memory, or did you have the comics as well for the Huckleberry Hound or Yogi or anything? Well, like I would that? literally watch the show and 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 see the you know the line work on the character, and I would do it kind of from memory, and then. Ultimately, I would get uh, comic books and uh, coloring books that would certainly help out. I see. Yeah. I, similar experience with me. When I was a kid, I used to, well, we had the pause button, of course. So I would ro- watch <laughs> something like Roger Rabbit or something like that and then take a piece of white paper, put, a, put it against the television set, and then trace the lines and see how well I could ah. do Roger. So, yeah, I'm just curious how they did it back then. In the, Very uh, good. There was the a show 60s. when I was young called Winky Dink. Uh-huh. And you would get a plastic sheet and you would put it on your TV. It would stick to it. And then you would use like it, with the plastic sheet came sort of a grease pencil. And <laughs> Winky Dink would say, draw a line so I can cross over this chasm and I can walk on the line. And so uh, back then, not every kid went and got this plastic sheet. So kids were drawing all over their TV screens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay. You're ready to follow me now? I'm going to go slowly and draw a line across here. And you come right along with me, okay? That's fine. This is going to be the nicest automobile, and we're going to have a swell trip. Have you got that line? All right, now come on down here. That's fine. Of course, if you don't have a winky-dink kit, you really can't have as much fun because you can't draw along with us. Follow my line. So I hope that you'll send for your Winky Dink kit right after the program today. And when you get yours, you'll be able to have the fun of drawing and knowing exactly what's going on. Well, moving on, we jump forward to 1976. You made his first cartoon called The Premiere of Platypus Duck when you were attending, when you were a student at Dartmouth College, or Dartmouth College. I, I, I never went right. there. So. 
And that was, I, I made this cartoon, uh, the Arthur and Lily Mayer Foundation uh, gave me $3,000, which was a lot of money back then, and to make this little animated cartoon. It was supposed to be three minutes and it turned into 11 minutes. It's supposed to take about two months and it took me about two years. Uh, so I would be, that would be my warning to all of you out there. Start, start modest when you're doing your little animated cartoon and, and don't let it get out of hand. <laughs> In 1976, after you graduated, you moved to Los Angeles to become an animator. Uh, Ruger became, began his career at Hanna-Barbera, writing and producing various animated series, most notably The Snorks. I love The Snorks. Uh, 13 Ghosts <laughs> of Scooby-Doo, The New Scooby-Doo Mysteries, Pound Puppies, a pup named Scooby-Doo, and you also wrote one episode of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Now, you're shaking your head, uh, no. Is this, what are we missing here? <laughs> it, it's, it's, there's nothing really drastically wrong here. It's just uh, my quibble is that I, I came out here to be an animator, and I started as an assistant animator at Hanna-Barbera. It says I went, it, here it, it indicates I went directly to producing animated Yes. No, I <laughs> I spent several years as, a, as an assistant animator and then an animator at Hanna-Barbera. My first cartoon uh, animation work was on uh, the Godzilla Power Hour at Hanna-Barbera, which had Godzilla cartoons and Janna of the Jungle cartoons. Ah. They had thick lines, and you'd have to use almost like a super wide Sharpie to make the line thick enough. And then uh, the problem was they would then Xerox those drawings because then they would ink the Xerox cell. And the lines on the Janna of the Jungle and Godzilla cartoons were so thick that the Xerox line broke up. And they had to, like, fill in the line with black paint. It was a real pain in the neck. Uh, so anyway, I started doing the animation, and we did a show called The New Fred and Barney Show. Uh, and I did some Scooby then. And then eventually, uh, in about 1980, all the shows started going uh, overseas for their assistant animation work. That's when I started pursuing the writing, and I went to Filmation Studios where I worked on Black Star and uh, uh, Tarzan, and that's where that He-Man and the Masters of the Universe credit comes in. Then I went back to Hanna-Barbera where I started writing and producing and story editing shows like The 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, Pound Puppies, and A Pup Named Scooby-Doo. I see. So just a slight order change there. Yeah, yeah. I, I looked at that and I said, I don't think that necessarily happened in that order. <laughs> so good to get yeah, that down. it looked a little off. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I, I, when I saw that list of, of just that short list of cartoons, I just saw uh, you know quite a few that I just loved uh, right away. I mean, uh, of course, the, the Scooby-Doo cartoons with the 13 Ghosts and – and, uh, you know, pup named Scooby-Doo, things like that. You had a chance to uh, be involved in kind of the, I don't want to say reinvention or reimagining, but taking the character of Scooby-Doo and kind of looking at it in different, uh, different 
different ways, didn't you? Well, yeah, I think a 13 Ghost of Scooby-Doo, which was truly the brainchild of Mitch Schauer, one of the greatest artists in uh, animation, he, uh, he introduced real monsters and real ghosts into the series where prior to that, there hadn't been any. Now, in Scooby, there's all sorts of real scary stuff. But uh, 13 Ghosts was the first time we said, hey, we're going to go with real supernatural stuff. And boy, Hanna-Barbera got letters, you know. Oh, now you're corrupting our children with supernatural. This is a warning to all living mortals that whosoever opens this chest of demons will release 13 of the most terrifying ghosts upon the face of the earth. to the chest. You are yours! Because you let them out. (laughs) 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 The 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. And then Pup Named Scooby-Doo went back to, you know, it's all guys wearing masks trying to scare away the kids uh but that of course had a a new look in that it was very young uh Mm -hmm. all the characters were now teen young teens and uh and we also did a lot of tex avery wild takes in that show which is probably what it got uh, most attention for i see yeah i i I think that show was better than the original scooby-doo myself the pup named scooby-doo i love that show i don't know why but well, thanks. I, I really so liked it too. And and one of the other fun aspects to it was it was the first show at Hanna Barbera, and the sound editors uh, really got upset with this. It was the first show at Hanna Barbera where the background music was actually vocalists going Scooby and the the music guys were like, "Wait, I can't cut this under dialogue," you know. And we said, "Yes, you can. You have to." <laughs> and uh, and all those cues were done in a three day session where John Debney, the uh, composer of the score for *A Button Named Scooby Doo*, brought in three super talented young women who just scattered their way into cartoon heaven. Scooby Doo, Scooby Doo, Scooby Doo. When Scooby gets on the trail, there's like no stopping him. It was on ABC, I believe, wasn't it? Saturday morning's ABCs? Yes, it was. I remember waking up to that with (laughs) brother there (laughs) watching that. Well... Then in 1989, he began working alongside Gene McCurdy. Is it Gene or John or Gene or John? It is Gene uh, McCurdy. Leslie Gene McCurdy. Gene yes. uh, McCurdy and Steven Spielberg at Warner. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Restrain yourself, Kelly. <laughs> it's difficult. <laughs> Uh, at Warner Brothers Animation to create and produce several animated series, including Tiny Toon Adventures, Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, Hysteria, 
Batman the Animated Series, The Plucky Duck Show, Freakazoid, Tasmania, and Road Rovers. So. Wow, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in that little paragraph. Um, a lot of good stuff. Yeah, well, Gene <laughs> uh, McCurdy had been uh, my boss at Hanna-Barbera during uh, much of my Scooby and Pound Puppy days. She had then uh, departed and went to work at Warner Brothers Animation, which was not doing hardly anything. And uh, at that point, uh, Steven Spielberg and uh, Terry Semmel, who were who was one of the head guys at Warner Brothers, along with Bob Daly, they were discussing an animated movie starring junior versions of Bugs and Daffy and Porky and everybody. And that that lay dormant for a while, and then they decided, oh, let's try it as a TV show. And that's where McCurdy stepped in and said, yeah, and let us at Warner Brothers Animation produce it. And they were they were thinking of farming it out somewhere else. And uh, at that point, I'd been making this Scooby, uh, Puck Named Scooby-Doo show, which had gotten some attention and, and people were enjoying it. And so Gene called me up and said, hey, you want to come work on this uh, animated series, Tiny Tunes for, for uh, Warners and Steven Spielberg? And I said, are you kidding me? That hack? I'll never go over that. <laughs> no, I, I didn't say that. I said, uh, yeah, I think so. And uh, so... Uh, Within a day, I had uh, quit my job at Hanna-Barbera, and I had met with McCurdy, and she said, let's pull a show together. We're going to meet with Stephen in one week. So within a week, I had kind of developed a concept for the show and, and who, would, uh, who the stars would be and what characters would be in it. And, uh, and then about an hour before uh, the meeting with Stephen, I, I literally, I think I had a, like a full-on nervous <laughs> breakdown because I was thinking, wait, I'm going to go in. I just quit my job. I had a perfectly fine job, and, <laughs> and I quit it, to, and now I'm going to go in and have this meeting with the king of Hollywood, and uh, I, I, I'm going to choke. I'm just going to die in front of him. And uh, my wife told me, said, no, just tell him about your favorite cartoons. And very interestingly, I think all of us uh, online here today talking, we all have some of our favorite cartoons that we can probably talk about very freely and mm -hmm. openly. And so that's mm -hmm. what I did. I, I sort of used that energy to talk about Bugs and Daffy and all my favorites from the past to, uh, to carry the conversation forward to a, a new show that would feature characters like them, but new unto themselves. So... Uh, with that bit of good advice, I, I did survive the meeting. I will say, though, Kelly, because I know you want to know, the first time yeah. I met Steven Spielberg, I walked in the room, and there he was, and it was a speaker box because he wasn't in the room. <laughs> oh, oh, what a disappointment. Oh. It was just phone. It was a phone machine, oh. and there were, like, a whole bunch of people gathered at this table around this phone machine, and we're all leaning into the phone machine. Stephen, how are you? Okay. We've got a lot of energy. Okay. Anyway, uh, the meeting went very well. We had a face-to-face -face the following week, and it, it obviously uh, the Tiny Toons uh, meetings went very well, and we ultimately uh, were in production on that. 
And Tiny Toons went from, oh gosh, what, what are the years there on, on Tiny Toons? Nin- premiere 1990, and it probably continued, well, continued for about 100 plus episodes uh, into the mid 90s. I think we had a couple specials late, later in the 90s. So it was, it was very successful, and everyone was very happy with it. And ultimately, uh, Stephen and Gene came to me and they said, hey, this worked out well. What's our follow-up series? What do we do next? And uh, Stephen initially thought we should do maybe the Plucky Duck show. Mm-hmm. And he had another idea that maybe it would be, uh, and I think the first rumors of a, of a movie that ultimately became Toy Story had been circulating at that point. And Stephen said, had another idea that was about toys and a toy chest at that end with a kid's bed that would come to life. And uh, I did not want to do that. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to do Plucky. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to do uh, more Tiny Tunes because I felt like we had served them well. I wanted to do something new. And he, and Stephen said, well, yeah, yeah but I, I, I need something with a marquee value. I said, well, you're the marquee value. Your, your name's above the title, Stephen. Said, no, no, no. I, I need, I, we need something with the marquee, which was like almost a challenge. It was like, well, we're screwed. We're going to be doing more tiny tunes because of that. He wants like plucky duck in the title or something. And then literally uh, at another meeting uh, at, on the Warner's lot, I, I, I looked up at the tower, that iconic water tower with the big WB logo. When I was a kid, they uh, all their shows started with a picture of the Warner Brothers lot with that water tower logo, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought, well, there's it's almost like a marquee for the studio, and and I've been playing with these duck characters at this point to be like hosts of a, an animated cartoon show, so I thought in a water tower, ducks could live in a water tower. So mm-hmm. anyway, that somehow came together and. Uh, at the same time, um, some of my uh, colleagues at Warner's were, I was working with all of them to come up with some different concepts for the overall series and concepts for segments in the series because I want to do another variety show. Now, all these variety shows like Tiny Toons and Animaniacs, there is a sort of a, a connection to my, my childhood, my past, because my favorite shows back then were... Uh, uh, the Huckleberry Hound Show, Yogi Bear Show, Quick Draw McGraw Show. And they were on once a week, half hour, and they had three segments per show, three cartoons. But in between, they had these wraparounds, which no longer exist, apparently. They, they were edited out, but they, they created a wonderful hosting situation. So yeah. Just, as, yeah, just as Babs and Buster had hosted Tiny Toons uh, uh, to a certain extent, uh, we, I wanted some posting characters for Animaniacs. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking of these ducks. So they were in our, and they were based on that platypus duck cartoon I had made in college. They were the same mm-hmm. characters, but slightly revised. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's what I'm prepared to do when you guys want to. It doesn't have to be today, mm-hmm. but I have uh, in front of me uh, the lists, and then they go on quite a bit of all the different segments that we developed for the Animaniacs series. Yeah. And we did a, a huge number of cartoon duos, trios, stars, and we uh, narrowed those down and we went and pitched what we felt were the best of those to Steven. 
and he narrowed them down further. And uh, the end result, of course, were the characters that we all know on Animaniacs, like Yakko Wacko Dot, Pink in the Brain, Slappy Squirrel, uh, Rita and Run, the Pigeons, and others. But uh, we had so many others that, uh, and some of them sound hilarious. Well, uh, <laughs> if you have that so list, anyway, yeah, if you have that list, you can you yeah, wanna, feel you free. Yeah, please. All right, let me let me pull this out for you. Okay. Uh, there's uh, and maybe you might have heard a few of these, but Gecko and Chuckwalla, have you heard about them before? No. no. Gecko and Chuckwalla were a pair of lizards, a boy and girl lizard that uh, lived out in the desert, and uh, they were fairly laconic, kind of a slow moving uh, thing. We had Klepto Kangaroo, <laughs> who. Uh, <laughs> Each one of those cartoons, Ding, Dingo Dog, would open a new uh, business establishment somewhere in the outback. Uh, it would be a shop with items to buy. And <laughs> in every episode, uh, Klepto Kangaroo would enter and, and try to resist stealing everything and would basically <laughs> make Dingo go bankrupt in every cartoon. Uh, we had a character named Nipsey and Russell. Oh, okay. And, they were rhyming, rhyming raccoons, uh, based on uh, Nipsey and Russell. We had uh, now this is interesting. There were two different developments by Deanna Oliver. One's called Oblivia, about a little girl who just is completely out of it. Like she'll say, "Okay, I'm leaving. Bye," and she'd walk into the closet and just stand in there. <laughs> uh, and then there were the Bungies, which was a family of people who were always. Uh, Wherever they were, they bungee corded, uh, attached themselves to a bungee so they would remain safe. And Deanna ultimately combined those two concepts into uh, Mindy and Buttons. Buttons! Oh, Buttons! <laughs> Silly puppy. We had uh, Plucky Duck Theater was going to be, uh, that was like an entire concept that would might have been uh, instead of Animaniacs. We had something called uh, Boyer the Beaver. Now, Ken Boyer, Ken Boyer uh -huh. was uh, one of our directors on uh, Tiny Toons and, uh, and great guy, very talented, but really, you know, it has to look like this and it must be this way. And he, he really had... Uh, a great talent, great artistic ability, had a very Disney-esque quality to his drawing. And when uh, a board artist would maybe put too much Warner Brothers quality to it, he would say, <laughs> no, my cartoons have to look like this. And he would he would fix it. Great, super talented guy. So we had Boyer the Beaver who uh, we had him in charge of these massive dams in, on, across rivers. Boyer the Beaver was in charge of all the beavers. And he wanted it always to be a perfectly certain way. And he'd go, I want that damn, damn, damn. <laughs> he got rejected for that reason alone. <laughs> uh, then we had something. It started out, its name was called, it was literally called Eddie and Minton. Eddie Fitzgerald and Tom Minton. And mm -hmm. these were the two guys that uh, sat in the next room and would uh, – create great stories and storyboards and scripts for Tiny Toons. And uh, they would, their conversations were very funny because 
Tom spoke in a very low murmur. You'd have to lean in very close to hear everything he said. And then Minton, that was Minton. And Eddie would then hear what Tom's saying and always thought Tom was hilarious and would burst into laughter. And literally said the word narf. Eddie Fitzgerald said narf and egad and things like this. So uh, anyway, they became the inspiration for Pinky and the Brain because I, I thought, what are they doing in there? They, they, it sounded, with the low murmur, it sounded very conspiratorial. So I thought, ooh, they might be trying to take over. <laughs> Honey, I'm home. <laughs> oh, that's a funny joke, Brain. I am not devoid of humor. Marilyn the Mink was the original name for... Uh, uh, Minerva. Minerva. And uh, very breathy, very Monroe. She, as you know, she only lasted uh, for a few episodes because uh, uh, I don't know if we got official complaints, but uh, the artist just refused to remove the cleavage. And uh, <laughs> Dean McCurdy is like, what is with all the cleavage on this character? I said, I don't know. Uh, I, I can't make them stop, though. And well, stop making the cartoons then. Uh, we had, a, we had a segment idea where it was going to be about dogs who have fleas who have dogs. So the fleas okay. dogs have pet, little tiny pet dogs. Yeah, that was an idea. Now, early in the process, we had, we, and this is what led us to, I think, what the Warner Brothers and Warner Sister became. We were thinking of doing segments that were rediscovered cartoons from the 30s, in other words, that hadn't been made then. But we we had a we were thinking about doing cartoons that looked like they were from the 30s, but would have sort of 90s sensibility, and that ultimately ultimately became kind of what uh, the the Warners were all about. It was them, the Warner Brothers. After years of being locked away in the water tower, they managed to escape. I hardly even know you. We're, We're the Warner Brothers. Brothers. And the Warner Sister. <laughs> Earl Cress came up with an idea for this uh, mean old codger character. And he called this character Senior Squirrel. Not Senior, not uh, like uh, the Spanish uh, appellation, but but uh, like a Senior Citizen Squirrel. Okay. And... Uh, and then uh, Sherry Stoner, at the same time, had this voice that she did for Groundlings, which was like a real battle axe of an old broad. And uh, so those two concepts uh, were ultimately combined to uh, turn into Slappy Squirrel. Now that's comedy. And then uh, ultimately, uh, Eddie and the Eddie and Minton show be called The Adventures of Eddie and Minton, as it slowly evolves. And then uh, we took... I took a drawing that was done caricature of Eddie and a caricature of Tom Minton done by Bruce Tim, who is, of course, the designer of all the great Batman characters and the producer on that show. And uh, so I put big ears on them and little tiny mouse bodies and crooked tails on them. And that ultimately uh, turned Eddie and Tom into mice. 
which we thought was a nice way to uh, attempt to take over the world with the most diminutive character you could possibly <laughs> come up with. A little tiny kid that was going to just throw tantrums all the time, Tyler, uh, Tyler the Tiny Terror. Uh, that that sounds almost like a a, a pre version of uh, oh Katie Kaboom almost you know like just the the little toddler version of it I suppose right <laughs> that's right Katie was a, a late add to the, the game so let me tell you about the pitch we finally did make uh, with Gene McC- I went uh, with Gene McCurdy uh, uh, Sherry Stoner uh, Alfred Gimeno. We went uh, the first first and only time we were actually were uh, we went to Steven uh, Spielberg's home in uh, Pacific Palisades. It was a Saturday morning, and the, he had like uh, <laughs> milk and donuts waiting for us, coffee and donuts. And we sat in his living. He showed, gave us a tour of the place, which you know it's a beautiful uh, Hollywood home. I think built uh, years before by. Uh, I think uh, a star back then. And uh, so we sat down in his living room and we started pitching the show. And uh, by then we were thinking of the, the Warners as uh, they were still ducks at that point, but we said that they would be these zany characters. Uh, and this is when he said, I, I need uh, a marquee and I need, uh, you know, and that the next, the following week we went back to him with new drawings of Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, uh, who at that point were called Smacky and Wacky and uh, some Jackie. <laughs> mm. And and Smacky, uh, uh, Yaki, Smacky, and Jackie, but they were turned into Warner Brothers-esque drawings. Uh, but at this early point, we're at his home and we're, we're going over these characters and we knew where we we're going to tr- go with... Uh, the three the three leads and then we talked about uh pinking the brain which the original main title was uh, written to the tune of uh singing in the rain so the same exact words that are in the ultimate main title but it, it would uh they're pink in the brain yes pink in the brain one is a genius the other's insane they're laboratory mice their genes have been spliced they're dinky, they're pinky, and the brain. Oh wow! Uh, and I swear this is true. Uh, so I said they're lab mice. I want to take over the world, and here's their main title song. And I sang that, and he said, "Sold, <laughs> done." So that was the easiest uh, segment to sell uh, in my history, for sure. Eat right, brilliant. Oh, all right. No, no. Um, why would I pick you? Because I'm very likable. Now, uh, Sherry was there, and we talked about Slappy, uh, you know, who's, who's going to be, uh, uh, Skippy is sort of in training to be like Slappy. That, that's what that segment was about. So we were trying to keep it not, not totally this bitter old <laughs> character, but mm-hmm. she also cares about her nephew and is trying to teach him the ways of the world. And... What really sold that, uh, and it's a pretty fun concept, uh, an old cartoon character, Squirrel, much like a screwy squirrel, but uh, a female. Uh, But Sherry was there, and she did her her voice. And Stephen said, all right, I'll I'll buy that, but you have to do the voice, Sherry. 
And serious, of course. Fine by me. I wrestled with Walter Wolf, Sid the Squid, and Beanie the Braindead Bison. This Doug guy hears nothing. Yeah, but those were cartoons, and this is real life. Don't tell him. He might crack. Now, uh, Rita and Runt were sold that day, and uh, we had a, a few others that got through. One segment that was rejected that day, because uh, Stephen felt, oh, I think we got too many duos right now, was uh, Mindy and Buttons, who had uh, you know started as Oblivia and then the Bungies, and now here's Mindy and Buttons, and we had great artwork for them. And uh, and it was very cute, you know. We had the whole bit about, you know, okay, I love you, bye bye, and uh, <laughs> hey, lady, I'm I'm your mom, not lady. Uh, <laughs> but that one had been put aside, and so all that we had these big boards with beautiful drawings at, for each presentation, and so we're about wrapped up, and we've got we've sold a bunch of these great segments. We're very pleased, and uh, Stephen's entire family. Uh, comes in, his wife, and a big batch of kids. I, I honestly I can't name them all. And one of the kids, the I think the youngest, a real toddler, goes over to all the drawings that are kind of stacked up there and walks up to the Mindy drawing, points at it, I like her. <laughs> and Stephen said, Mindy and Buttons are back in. <laughs> so uh, that's that's a that's a bit about the actual pitch session that took place. That's amazing. Uh, Kelly, now this is a, I know that I better turn this over to you. This is your chance to talk to somebody <laughs> who has, who has talked one-on-one -on -one with Steven Spielberg. What, what is, what, what do you want to know about Steven here? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I, wow. Um, what is this house like? What's this house like? I think yeah, you. Like I think you'd call it uh, sprawling Southwest. Ah, okay. uh, you know, hacienda like. It's one of many. Sense? I think. I think he has about five houses. So. <laughs> this one is the one that's off Sunset. Uh, it's north of Sunset, in Pacific Palisades. Uh, it's uh, it's gated. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, I'm and, sure. Uh, I'm there's sure. a certain security <laughs> process that you know you. You push a button and, you know, you're hearing voices. Well, who is this? You know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've been, to, um, has, I've been to the, the ranch adjacent, the Skywalker Ranch before, so I imagine it's very similar to that. And they hold you to the side until you, you know, have entry to go through. Yeah. he his The home is also, uh, again, this is many years ago, but he mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's just beautifully decorated with, you know, genuine original pieces of art and uh, some of the chairs he said oh you know I sit, I sat down in a chair and then he told me like the history of the chair so uh, <laughs> there there are uh, some real classic pieces in the place um, but did he have the, any of the Rockwells he, I know he collects Norman Rockwell paintings did you see yes any of those? there were Rockwells and oh wow so whenever we gave him uh, I, I'd give him some I'd give him like a cell of a cartoon you know for his birthday or something or Christmas time. So, oh yeah, I'm going to put this right against, uh, right up next to the Rockwell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So is he, uh, is he just as nice as he seems on screen every time I see him in an interview or something? He just I, I've never down seen, to earth. He's almost always uh, very upbeat. Um, mm -hmm. You know, certainly in our creative meetings, he's he's enthusiastic. 
he wanted the shows from Tiny Toons on. He wanted to make break shows, and he counted on us. And fortunately, we came through for him. So he was always very delighted with uh, with everything we accomplished. Uh, early. Did he like the- him? I'm sorry. Did he like the cameos of himself in some of the episodes? I know he was in Hooked on a Ceiling, and then in Tiny Toons, he was in um, Phone Call on the 405. So I wondered what he thought of those. Don't call the 405 is I, I got to tell you about that one sometime because that's <laughs> it's, uh, that's that's all true. It's all true. I love that one. <laughs> uh, now that's Frank Welker doing mm-hmm. the voice of Stephen, and uh, Stephen did his own voice in one cartoon, which mm-hmm. was uh, the one that was written by the the girls. Uh, yes. Yeah, I saw that one too. The, Buster and Babs go Hawaiian or something to that effect. I think. Oh, Buster and Babs! Hey, Steve Arino! Steve Man! The Stevester! Steve Aroski! Steve Arello! Steve Califragilisticexpialidocious! Rope it in! <laughs> so, what's up? Today's script stinks, and we're not even in it! Well, I just got a script from three hot young writers, eighth graders, in fact. It's called Buster and Babs Go Hawaiian. So Stephen came in and did his voice. It's the only time he showed up at a recording session. Quite frankly, Stephen said, you know what? I I think I like the other guy doing my voice. (laughs) (laughs) Frank Welker's impression. So uh, we went with Frank. And Frank always put kind of, whoa, 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 whoa. I think that he'd always put a little stutter in, which made Stephen crack up. He said, well, I don't sound like that. Your eminence. I'm so glad you could come. I've worked so hard to please you. I hope you like my ceiling. Ah! I'm ruined! (laughs) I like it. Hey, Mikey, he likes it. Painting is like show business. You have to know your audience. And now, the only time Stephen got sore at us, from what I recall, is uh, in Tiny Toons, before we ever went on the air, uh, and we had made big boasts, we're going to make it, it's going to be great, you know, we're going to have this great music, great artists, we've got great uh, animation, the count of the cells, the number of cells we're using is unprecedented for TV, and so anyway, one of our earliest episodes that uh, returned from uh, uh, Wang Films in Taipei, they, they did the, the final color and, and cleanup on the, on the show. And it, it came back and it, had, it was really well animated, but the line quality was pretty thick. And Steven wanted very fine line quality, like from a Don Bluth movie, like really kind of like mm. theatrically thin line. And uh, so... But we thought, oh, but look, the energy's there. It's really popping. It was, it was, a, uh, it was a wheel. It was one of the spin the wheel cartoons. One the wheel of the morality kind of thing. No, no, this is a, oh. a Tiny Tunes. Uh, oh, like, sorry. Okay. Uh, wheel of comedy, I think, something like that. Okay. And uh, so he, and I was, you know, I knew the line quality was thick, and I said, I sent it over with Stephen to Stephen with a note, you know, I, but but we'll, we can fix that. We will. But what do you think? And he. Uh, he knew it was funny, but he really was not happy with the line quality. And that's one of the few times I, I've seen, I've heard him sort of 
so he actually used this word, uh, which I can't forget. This is unconscionable. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh. wow. So I thought, oh, we're, uh, I'm fired. I'm going to be fired now. <laughs> and, uh, and by the way, our job, uh, the job that Gene McCurdy and I had, to, uh, we thought it was to make a great show. And it turns out, according to Bob Daly and Terry Semmel, who ran Warner Brothers, our job was not to make a great show. Our job was not, you know, if our if our show, uh, you know, stunk, uh, they didn't care. If it cost a billion dollars, they didn't care. Our job was to keep Steven Spielberg happy. That was literally our job. So when we got that notice, uh, uh, it's unconscionable that, and it was just about the line quality. Uh, Dean McCurdy and I were on a plane the next day, flying to Taipei, then to Japan, and then to the Philippines to touch base with all of our overseas partners to explain the importance of this line quality. And uh, anyway, the line quality turned around, worked out, and by the time we went on uh, the air, which was, uh, you know, several months later, uh, he was thrilled with uh, every every aspect of it, and thankfully, uh, the public liked it too. Steven, <laughs> Yeah, where are you? I'm on the San Diego freeway near Mulholland. Oh, look, Michelle Lee in the next car. Hi, Michelle. Hey, let's not call you. Anyways, I told Sneezer, I, I really want to redo that last scene. I want to, I want to, I want it special. Right. And so do we, Steven. We were both very disappointed with the way it came out. Now, um, exactly what scene was that, Stephen? The chasing. It, it looked all wrong. Now, let's take it from the top, all right? First of all, the line quality has been way too thick. Check. And it should be a night scene. Check. And the character should be in their night colors. Check. Okay, and, and we need shadows. We need more shadows. Just, just, you know, just more shadows. More, more, more shadows. I, I want lots and lots of shadows. Period. How's that? Perfect. Okay, that's that's really great. All right, let's, all right everybody, hold, hold, roll, camera, and action. So he is uh, just a a, a very uh, you know energetic and and upbeat filmmaker, uh, especially when he's like. He's playing with these cartoons, so it's a lot of fun for him because I, I think it's just a little bit of a lighter atmosphere than maybe some of his features. And as long as we, uh, as long as everyone's delivering what he expects, he's just, he's great. Fantastic. Uh, That's so cool. Well, Tom, thank you. That was an outstanding story right there about meeting Steven Spielberg and getting that pitch in. Um, I think we're going to pause right here, though, because. Number one, we have a lot more to talk about. <laughs> and instead of making a 17-hour podcast, we're, <laughs> we're instead going to uh, take a pause for right now and come back in a few weeks and have a brand new episode with you where we're going to discuss not only how you gathered the, uh, the creative team for Animaniacs, but also, of course, the voice actors, uh, you know, how we uh, how you selected animation studios to, uh, to draw the Animaniacs and uh, just other kind of behind the scenes stuff like that. This is also, ladies and gentlemen, going to be an opportunity to ask Tom questions that you have about Animaniacs. 
So, in order to get your questions uh, asked to Tom, simply send them to us via the following ways. Number one, you could always tweet at us, and we are at Animaniacast on Twitter. We are also on Facebook as well, where you can send us a message over there. And of course, you can send us an email, which is Animaniacast at RetroZap.com. And speaking of RetroZap.com, there's a ton of great podcasts and great articles and fantastic stuff that you should check out over there. RetroZap.com. Head on over there today for all your pop culture needs. Well, it is time to wrap things up. So for Nathan, Kelly, and Tom, this is Joey saying good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Perfect. Outstanding. This podcast is not endorsed by Warner Brothers or Amblin Entertainment and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Animaniacs, the Warner Brothers logo, all names, pictures, and sounds of the Animaniacs characters or any other Animaniacs-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Warner Brothers, Amblin Entertainment, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Animaniacs unless otherwise indicated.